Today's Your Stories is brought to you by MakeSpace. Wish you had more space in your home? Use MakeSpace. They'll pick up, store, and deliver your stuff. Get started at MakeSpace.com and use code CHICAGO50 to get $50 of free storage. Thanks, MakeSpace. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everyone, my name's Eric Arno, and this is the second part of the Nerdlog's very creepy Your Stories episode, Horror Stories. This week we've got Bill Nielsen, Alex Cox, Brandon Kirkman, Drew Creel, and Patrick Klepek sharing pieces to chill you to the bone. Plus me and Dwight Hassler will sing some blood-curdling songs. I mean, I can't really tell you how to feel, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, if you're listening to this before or on Saturday, November 7th, and you live in or near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, do you know what you should do? You should come see our show! We're doing a one-night-only greatest hit sketch show at Pittsburgh's Arcade Comedy Theater at 10pm on the 7th, and it's going to be tons of fun. Uh, if you're interested, you can score tickets via a link on our website, www.nerdalogs.com. They're just $10, and you will have a really good time. Uh, do you know what else is a good time? Supporting the Chicago Podcast Co-op, who helps shows like ours to keep going. There are so many great shows that co-op champions, like a lot of Nerdalogs projects, and there are also a lot of great sponsors, like our patrons for this episode, MakeSpace. If you have stuff to store, call MakeSpace. If you have ghosts to bust, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Uh, if you're ready for the show, just listen for ten more seconds, because here it comes! Don't 
Think pieces about it. <laughs> what a weird time. <laughs> so, this artist was hugely influential to my development as someone who appreciates music. This is by the father of, of Halloween rock, Mr. Alice Cooper. And I, I, I firmly believe that Alice was, and partially because something he wrote told me this, but Alice was kind of the first person to introduce a certain type of irony into rock music. He said about this song, you know, there's a lot of songs about being a teenager and being confused, like you're young and you have all these feelings and you don't know what to do and you're kind of stupid and sex-crazed and it's a horrible, weird time. And and he was the first person to really write a song being like, yeah, I'm, I'm young and dumb and all I want to do is have sex and drink and that's awesome. And And I think it's really cool that, like, it sounds really empty, but I don't know. I love that that was his his take on it. It's like I'm gonna revel in this really base thing, uh, and that was hugely revolutionary in like 1969, 1970 when this song came out. This is called "I'm 18." <laughs>
titled Hostile Minus the S. <laughs> All names have been changed to protect the innocent. My story is more of a modern horror tale with a slow build leading to pure financial terror. <laughs> it stars arrogant Americans traveling to a foreign land where their ignorance to local customs leads them down to a spiral of despair. Minus the hand cam found footage. <laughs> To begin, I won a Pro Tour qualifier from Magic the Gathering. <laughs> that allowed me to go to a Pro Tour in Paris, France. I was delighted, but where was I to stay? Luckily, my friends Barney Gumble told me, Don't worry, we can stay in Ned Flanders' hotel room. He has a free one. And I thought, a free hotel room? How could I beat that price? <laughs> From the time we got there, though, things were a little bit off. 
Small things, barely noticeable, but in hindsight, clues that should have served as a warning. This hotel was new, very new. So new, our room number was written on our door in pencil. (laughs) Yet mysteriously, two days in, the numbers appeared. Then there was the matter of how many people were staying in our hotel room. I think all American hotels know that if you list two guests in your room, you actually have eight. (laughs) But I know this custom now does not travel across the Atlantic. The first morning we were there, a worker asked us at breakfast how many people were staying in our room, to which we replied, two. But they didn't fall for our American wiles. They were watching and waiting. The third grim red flag was our room keys. Every six hours, our keys would stop working, requiring us to return to the front desk to get them reswiped. We thought this was just a new hotel LOL, but soon we were not L. We were not L at all. <laughs> Saturday, 4 p.m. in Chicago, but in Paris, the witching hour. (laughs) After a long day of magic, we return to the hotel, but find our hotel keys again don't work. (laughs) This time, when we go to the front desk, we do not get our keys back. We get asked repeatedly whose name our room is under. We say, Ned Flanders, Ned Flanders. (laughs) But they have no room under that name, adding to the confusion. Now, the desk clerk has called the hotel manager who comes on the line with, You do not like to pay. If you do not pay now, we call the police. Faced with utter despair and no choices, I pay for the room a cool $750 U.S. currency. The rest of the weekend passes. Ned can't solve the problem, and they are very unhelpful to us now that they have our money. As I leave, I scream, Fuck you! To the hotel's exterior. No one notices or cares. (laughs) This is France. (laughs) By the time we get back to the United States, we get our shocking M. Night Shyamalan twist. The room was not Ned's at all. It had been booked on his behalf by a friend, Mo Sislak, using a hotel voucher. <laughs> when the hotel staff saw we had three guests instead of two, they added an extra charge to the bill, which voided the voucher, and they saw we had not paid for the room at all, which is why they insisted we pay immediately and for the full room price. Mo, out of the goodness of his heart, paid me out of pocket. But to this day, late at night, you can still hear poor Mo calling the hotel, begging them to honor his voucher. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Truly horrifying time. Bill, how do you do in the tournament? Not well. Aw. Well, I shouldn't have asked that. Oops. Guys, true, yeah, true horror story. You didn't know the meta game. What horror? <laughs> it's always good. Guys, coming up next to the stage, uh, she works here at Cards Against Humanity. She also hosts a podcast about robots and feminism called Roboism. This is Alex Cox. Yeah! 
sucks. Um, and as Eric told you, I work at Cards Against Humanity, and I don't like to be in front of people, but I really like this story. Um, and it's mostly about fear. Uh, like, I'm hiding behind this laptop because it makes me more confident, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to look at Totoro instead of my face or my muffin top. I would really hope you would do that. Um, for me, getting my first real apartment... <laughs> for getting my first real apartment was really, really scary. Um, it was my senior year of college, and it just happened to be literally one liquor store down from Wrigley F- Field. Like, if you know the guy who sells liquor to minors, who was very nice, he gave us a discount on gum. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't really like other humans that much, so it wasn't really a p- place that I thrived in or was happy a lot. Um, Cups fans aside, it was definitely, like, my hardest year of school. I was taking a full load of classes and freelancing almost full-time. I had taken on all this responsibility, but I was afraid to and not ready to be an adult. I had nightmares about what would happen after school. Would I not make enough money? Would I have to go back and live with my parents, work at the Apple store, and desperately try to look as cool and attractive as the other employees? It was just not a great time. (laughs) So out of fear and desperation, I spent a lot of my time in my room just working and avoiding most people I wasn't working on projects with. I wanted to be the best I could be. Um, like, so, and I majored in documentary film, which I managed to bring up in every Your Story story, <laughs> and you think that, like, people are nice, like, oh, we want to make the world better, but we want to crush everybody else, because only a small number of white people can be in the storytelling space, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, and my girlfriend would actually play video games with my roommate because, while I was editing, because I did not think I had time for her, and when I was working, I was just a reclusive dick, um... However, the worst part about this year in my life wasn't an abstract existential fear. Um, <laughs> we actually actually believed that we were living below two serial killers who murdered people together. Um, which, no, I know it sounds insane, and I was watching a lot of Hannibal as well as Criminal Minds and SVU uh, in, <laughs> in my spare time. Because, you know, after you're editing, like, things about children who aren't in school, you, you want to see somebody chop somebody up. Um, and I, I swear to God, though, dark shit was happening upstairs every single night. And the first thing that we noticed was they had a dog, which was forbidden by our landlord, but that, you know, is always, that rule's always broken. Um, but we never saw the dog we only heard it, and there were no barks and whines, but this, like, unholy demon growl, and it was just t- terrifying. Um, and uh, about once a week, the couple, uh, usually the dude, I would assume, because there was, like, uh, uh, grunting type of stuff, uh, would drag a heavy, heavy bag up the stairs. And the next day, they'd bring it back, both of them, downstairs, but it would seem like there were, like, more loose items in it. And it, it, it could easily have been a bunch of books uh, or maybe a dismembered, dismembered body. Who, who's to say? Um, and you think that, like, we wouldn't have proof. But nearly almost every single night, not just during, like, the dead body up and the dead body down nights, um, (laughs) we would hear something like this sound. (laughs) And (laughs) 
But also, oh, oh, it's not doing it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, there was also like a bang and then a roll across the floor, as if someone had maybe chopped uh, off a head or a bowling ball. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it just really like ate at me every single night. This sound. Um, yeah, there's it again. It's great. <laughs> um, and. The one night, uh, I was in bed, and I heard frantic knocking on our door. But not our front door, the door that was in the back. So, like, it was one that only the other tenants in the building had access to. Um, and it was, like, really panicked. And at this point, I am really freaking out. There's no fucking way I'm going to answer the door. And I just ignore it. My girlfriend is gone. Uh, my roommate is out of town. And so I just lie in bed. Nothing's going to happen. And after a few minutes of knocking, it goes completely silent. And I will be honest, I have never been so scared. Like, I was was literally scared shitless because uh, I went and hid in the bathroom. Um, (laughs) And, but then, so this is about ten minutes later... I hear this different kind of knock. And it's like, it was more assertive and there was like no panic. Um, It, which meant like that the other person, this person had opened the screen door that's not locked and was banging directly on our door. The, just the three inches of wood that separated us. Uh, so, again, I slowly crept out of my bed and into my bathroom again, because the whole scared shitless. Um, because, and I wanted as many doors, as many three-inch three pieces of wood between me and what was whatever was on that side. Uh, I probably should have called the police. I should have done something. But I didn't. I slept in my bathtub. <laughs> the next morning, I did not even go to class. Uh, it was a Friday, and I waited until my dad came to pick me up uh, because I was par- visiting my parents that weekend. I'm like, all right, he's 6'2", 350 pounds. He'll be fine. Uh, and after that night, though, all of the noises stopped. We never heard anything more from the couple upstairs, and I'll never know who the first person to knock at that door was. And it just really scares me. So anyway, (laughs) at the end of the school year, I moved out. Uh, I'd graduated, got a job. My girlfriend and I moved to a very quiet part of Lakeview where um, there's just a lot of weed and dogs barking, but no murders. It's great. Um, And I still have horrible, introspective, selfish fears about what kind of person I am and what kind of person I'll become. But whenever I'm starting to have a panic attack or starting to doubt myself, I just try to remember that this will not literally kill me. I still live with anxiety and fear, but I don't live with serial killers upstairs. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, Alex. Jesus, that's really frightening. Man. I'm glad you survived. I hope I hope lots of other people did too. But we'll never know. Coming up next to the stage, wonderful Chicago stand-up, Mr. Brandon Kirkman. Yeah. 
So this is definitely my favorite time of year because uh, just so many things are going on. Like we're all reminded of those grim facts. Like we all have skeletons inside of our bodies, which is really spooky. <laughs> and then inside of those skeletons, there's two mysterious children that no one knows, which is the most spooky part. I know a lot of facts, guys. I don't want to alarm you. Uh, I'm going to take this one out, actually. Um, but I want to talk about more about ghosts and ghost stories and like why I'm a skeptic about them, but then tell a really awesome ghost story my mom used to tell me all the time as a kid. Um, my main problem is definitely with ghosts and a lot of things around them. First is definitely ghost hunters. Are you guys familiar with ghost hunters? Yeah. It's on the Sci-Fi Network, which is now SYFY, because who gives a shit about anything anymore? Um <laughs> But it's been ten seasons of ghost hunters. Why are they even called ghost hunters? A hunter is something that has found or captured something. Like, they should just be ghost trainees for ten years. That's that's fine with me. But it's a simple formula of, we have cameras, plus we found ghosts equals this is why the show exists. None of that. Ten years of that. But they keep getting more and more ratings, and it's a huge success. It would be like if I had a job, and every day I went to that job, went back into the break room, dropped my pants, took a shit on the break room desk, and left. And then every year for my review, they bring me in, they say, Brandon, I really like what you're doing here. We don't quite get it, but we're going to give you a raise and keep doing what you're doing. But the worst part is that if any of your coworkers in this pretend situation were to come up to me and ask me, Brandon, do you even work here? All I could say in my defense is, listen, I know work's out there, and I believe in work, but as we all know, work can't be photographed. <laughs> and then I get another big-ass raise. Um, but it's not really ghost hunters in that they can't find ghosts, and finding ghosts on film isn't my problem with ghosts. It's the ghost timeline. Have you guys ever thought about this? Why are there no caveman and Sumerian ghosts? <laughs> like, I've thought about this for a very long time. Here's my shitty theory. Okay. Caveman. They die. As simple as that. They have the worst existences of anybody in all of humanity's history. Everything exists in the world to kill cavemen. So they're going through that tunnel of light. They look back like, I'm getting out of this shithole, thank God. <laughs> Sumerians, they're the first like civilization in the cradle of life. They're moving up a little bit. They look back and they see that ziggurat and they're like, not as cool as a pyramid. I'm moving on out. But finally, <laughs> as all ghost historians know, ghosts start popping around medieval times in castles because castles are cool as heck. <laughs> My theory, the ghosts are passing around. Every once in a while, one guy turns around when he's going up that tunnel of light to the afterlife and says, have you seen this sweet-ass castle? There's like zero ghosts in here. There has to be at least one ghost in this castle, right? At least one. And since then on, it's just basically that. We just built cool enough things to keep spirits around. That's my theory why ghosts are real. Very solid. Thank you. I solved it. Um... But regardless if I'm a skeptic or not, my mom used to tell me a story all the time as a kid, and it still creeps me out to this day. This is an honest, true story. Uh, but growing up as a kid, she had this group of friends that were just, they had like a bad sign over them or something. Uh, their whole family, just their whole life has had really bad luck. One of them's in drug for, uh, one of them's in jail for drug trafficking. The other one was uh, put in prison for arson as well. And then another one was straight up murdered. Like just a mysterious Indiana death that no one cares about. <laughs> Like, that's how bad it was. Like, yeah, she's dead. Okay. Um, yeah, she's from Hobart, Indiana. It's kind of like that. Um, but no, it, 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 this family had always had this weird bad presence over it. And my mom was staying over there one time as a kid. And uh, the two daughters she would hang out with, they were going to go see The Exorcist that night. My mom deeply believes in spirits and bad things like that. And she was freaked out to begin with. And she just felt this bad presence the whole night that was freaking her out even more than seeing the movie. So they're getting ready to leave. 
And all of a sudden, they hear a loud thud against the house, and the power goes out. Frightening already to begin with. So uh, her two friends say, we got to go upstairs and grab the flashlight. We keep it in my parents' bedroom. Come along with us. My mom gets kind of lost, and then she feels a hand take her. Take her all the way upstairs and sit down on the bed. My mom felt something was wrong. It just didn't seem right. They weren't talking, and she felt this breath coming closer and closer to her neck. And finally, she hears downstairs, Heidi, where, where are you? No one was upstairs. She starts freaking out and screaming. As she runs downstairs, she says to this day, she remembers this more vividly than anything, there was breath on her neck, just breathing heavily, slightly humming into her ear. And then finally she gets there and it goes away and she finds him. To this day, she has no clue what happened with that. It is the most frightening thing I've heard. I still have goosebumps when I think about it. But what I want to end on a funny note with this is that my mom <laughs> wrote this story out for me and she put in parentheses after it says, tell them about seeing the exorcist is, explain to audience what the exorcist is. <laughs> Like, it's a classic, Mom. Don't worry. When you say that, you make yourself sound way older than you are. Like, I took a lot of them pill, and then I got so tired, and I just had a fit of the faints on the couch afterwards. Like, no, Mom. It's Everyone knows what the exorcist But nonetheless, guys, I hope you enjoy that story and think about it, because I still get goosebumps when I think about it myself. Have a good night. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I consider myself a skeptical person, but man, those stories were like, you're not quite sure how to explain it. That's super fun. Yeah, it's just I like dig it. So yeah, right, cause like, you know there's a mystery to, un- to unsolve, like, or to solve, not to unsolve, <laughs> to solve, like Robert Stack. Yeah, to un- there, yeah, yeah, we're unsolving these mysteries, guys. That's a good podcast idea. Alright, we, <laughs> so, coming up next to the stage, a friend of mine, this gentleman was recommended to, Tell a story by Andrew Bentley, who you all heard earlier, obviously knows the shit. So uh, this is Drew Creel. Yeah! Hello, everybody. Hey, um, so I didn't know I was going to be telling this story tonight, so pardon me if it's not very well prepared. Um, When I was a wee teenager, and um, in high school I had... Four good friends, and only four good friends. Um, Ray, Clayne, Alex, and Kyle. And we all knew of this great um, story about a burned down high school in our downtown. The downtown of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and it was a full moon night, so we didn't have to worry too much about looking around. And we made our way downtown. Uh, we didn't have to worry too much about our, you know, lighting situation and we made our way downtown to sneak into the school now the school is closed off it had apparently burned down back in the 50s and apparently i mean this is all folklore but apparently um i mean i guess i could have researched something and like bothered to look up whether this is all true but apparently some children were trapped in the school when it burned down um Lots of spooky ghost stories continued from there. Uh, apparently, some people tried to use the site for satanic rituals, um, used the gymnasium for such acts and whatnot. That then, you know, it got closed down even further. The cops, you know, tried to board it up even more. Um, and it had, you know, well, we went there. Uh, <laughs> top defense and... Uh, Found out it wasn't too hard to actually break in there. Um, found an open door, 
um, that wasn't locked up, you know, just after, like, looking around a bit. It's a pretty huge building. Um, it was a two-story, like, school complex. Um, it had balconies. Um, there was uh, apparently a catacomb underneath the school. Um, the, I mean, I, fi- I figured that was more further embellishment of, you know, the spooky ghost tales and such. Um, so while we were in there sneaking around, you know, this is just fun. Like, when you're a kid, you want to go to, you know, the graveyard at night or you want to go break into cool stuff just just to feel the fear and have the adventure. So we're having an adventure um, sneaking around uh, this this creepy-ass school. Um, and it had, like, I mean, it must have been pretty ritzy because, I mean, it was huge. And there were, like, balconies and stuff that you could walk out on. And uh, so we walked out to one of the balconies and it was a pretty... I mean, it was an interesting sight seeing such a, like, dilapidated school um, with all, like, the growth and everything around and the moonlight. It was pretty cool looking. And then we noticed across the way another group of people on a different balcony, um, also in the building. Uh, and this is definitely a place where no one else should be right now. Um, so we get uh, a little... A little nervous and decided to kind of move our way back in and just somehow like skirt our way around them without like actually confronting them because we didn't know if they were on our side yet. Um, and this, and so this became like a classic Scooby Doo like running around the haunted mansion, um, you know, like going into different doors and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, the gymnasium was totally like totally boarded up and locked off, so we couldn't. Uh, work away into where the, you know, cat sacrifices happen and such. But um, eventually, eventually the two groups sort of, you know, after running around around each other, eventually we, you know, you know we, we couldn't, you know, keep ourselves from colliding eventually. I think they were really trying to find us um, because, uh, and when we did approach, you know, we, it was cautious because, again, we didn't really know if either one of us was security or police or something like that. So, uh, you know, as we approached and realized, okay, you know, we're all here for mischievous activities. Like, it's no one's going to rat each other out. Um, you know, us just being teenage kids uh, and them being a little more of an odd bunch. Uh, it was an older man who was not, like, the most kempt individual I've ever seen. Um, definitely... A little more suspicious character and a gaggle of children um and yeah and it got pretty creepy pretty fast um hold on here i need to i need to little look at a little note taking um so the older guy didn't seem to be their father in any way, <laughs> and um, the the kids were um, the kids were all armed with knives. Um, now, being uh, being you know appropriate boy teenagers, we all had our own knives, but um, but and you know I don't blame them for having knives because you want to have knives when you're in a scary place. But these are you know these are children. We are you know it's one thing for. 15-year-old, you know, boy from Boy Scout, you know, having this, you know, multi-blade or whatever. Them having, like, you know, being tiny children, 
<laughs> with uh, in, definitely in the danger zone of like parental control. Um, yeah, it was definitely an odd situation. And not too long after that did they start talking about trying to sell us drugs and stuff like that. And we were definitely not of the age of, of drug use, and they were certainly not of the age <laughs> of drug use. And after that, we were like, okay, our priorities are to separate from them as quickly as possible. Um, so we uh, quickly sort of came up with an excuse to, you know, go our separate ways. You know, like, oh, you know, well, we haven't been out in this way. Oh, we, we've been there. Okay, we'll, we'll split up or something like that. <laughs> um, not Trying not to allude to our own real agenda of just getting the fuck away from them um, and, you know, trying to do something. But uh, so we come up with an excuse. And being just idiot teenagers somehow think that, like, um, you know what? We haven't seen the rest of the school. Maybe we should continue adventuring. Um, so we, you know, continue on. Random encounter, number one. Um, so uh, we continue on and go to the bottom floor of the school and um, to, the, like, to one of the, you know, very ends of the hall and uh, find a giant hole. In the floor, the catacombs were real. Uh, we jump down into the hole and find uh, now. So now we can only have our flashlights with us, and it, the creepy factor is up a million fold. Especially after knowing that there's that other party around. Um, and so, like, we we moved into the catacombs, and they're not. I mean, it's basically just the structural support of the building. They weren't really catacombs where dead bodies were kept they were just it looks i mean it looked great in terms of you know scare factor um and uh but and they even had like little like rooms sectioned off um and where we found some you know where people had obviously come before and you know done uh you know spray paintings and pentagrams and stuff like that but nothing really too exciting in there aside from just like that i mean i mean the journey obviously is where you really get your fun just being in there, not knowing what's going to be around the corner, you know, shining your flashlight around. It was really Resident Evil. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we're serious. So, um, you know, eventually we state our need for exploration and adventure and uh, decide to work our way back through the under maze and only to find that the hole that we came through has now been boarded up. Uh, and apparently they, uh, the other group came around and, like, moved this giant plywood over the hole and like put a couple cinder blocks on top of it um and it was frightening for sure but um it wasn't we were able to just push it out of the way it wasn't like nailed <laughs> down or anything like that <laughs> you know we weren't total weaklings um though we were the nerds uh and uh yeah, so after that, it was clear, you know, our stupidity can only go so far, and we decided it was definitely time to just get the hell out of there. So after that, um, you know, we sort of, like, you know, thought back, and we were like, you know, damn, that that was scary as hell, but furthermore, like, we were concerned for those kids, like, holy crap, like, we need to do something about that. And then we realized, like, well, shit, we were also just on trespassing property if we call anybody to tell them that, they're just going to be like, well, why were you there? Um, and, uh, you know, being sort of teenage kids, we really didn't kind of – we didn't have the greatest minds in the world for how to approach that kind of situation. So I'm sure now I could have, you know, would have 
taking it a little more seriously, but back then I was just like, oh, thank God I got out of the live and didn't get shivved by a bunch of orphans. Um, uh, and so at the end of it, we, uh, you know, we were driving back home and just thinking about the, you know, trying to summarize that crazy night and realized like, well, now wait a second. There was a bunch of ghost stories about children getting caught up in that school fire. Man, I bet if you Google that, there's like other people's records. I'd love to see what other people have experienced. That's fucked up, man. Anyway, thank you, Drew, for jumping in at the last minute with that freaking sweet story. We have one more storyteller tonight. This gentleman is a senior reporter at Kotaku. He is a co-host of the Match 3 video game podcast. Also a really, really great dude, Mr. Patrick Klepek. Hey. Well, no pressure with all these stories. Um, But thanks for sticking around for mine. When I uh, started thinking through the topic, I was thinking, okay, Scariest moments of my life, things that are horrifying. It's like, well, okay, these stories are really short. The first came to mind, it's like, is the time in college when I woke up with two mangled fingers and the last thing I remembered was drinking at a brick? <laughs> Don't know what happened. Two broken fingers, everything was fine. It was at the time when it's my wife's birthday and she had a lot to drink. I was the one that was going to be safe and responsible. She had a lot of shots with her friends. And she kept throwing up in bed but kept wanting me to stay with her in bed while it was happening. Oh. I managed to avoid. Um... <laughs> And I started thinking about, like, horror films. It's the thing that my wife and I fell uh, in love with each other over. Uh, it's the, the kind of thing we're kind of obsessed with. And so I started thinking about the films when I was younger that really scared me. And the thing, the movies that scared me when I was younger uh, were The Blair Witch Project really got uh, under my skin. I was uh, just young enough, and things like viral and, like, we're pretending it's real, but it's not, like, weren't, like, stereotypes at that point. So I was well convinced that somehow they had allowed them to put in police footage in a movie theater, charge you $8, and then the kids die at the end. <laughs> so it was terrifying to me. I eventually pieced it together and didn't admit to anyone that I had, had been half convinced in the theater we were watching real footage. Uh, the other time uh, was when uh, my parents thought that uh, showing us uh, the entire quadrilogy of Jaws when we were on a lake trip, and my brother and I... <laughs> We're eight and six, and, uh, and like, we're going on a boat tomorrow. And it's like, I don't want to go on that fucking boat. Because uh, if, if I can't see what's beneath me, like, there might be a shark. They're like, it's a lake. It's like, you can't, if you can't 100% prove to me there's no shark down there, there might be a shark down there. And this, this traumatized me for years uh, to the point where uh, when I would be in the deep end of the pool, you'd be sitting there going like, I mean, I know that vent is tiny, but sharks are smart. Like, they might be able to make it through there. And so stuff like that, and I was like, okay, well, I mean, those were kind of scary moments, but I was trying to remember this, this, the time I was most horrified, and the time I was most horrified was when I was 16, and when I was 16, I'd just gotten my driver's license, and when you get your driver's license, like, when you first start out, like, depending on what state, um, and when I was 16 here in Illinois, like, there all these restrictions, right? Like, oh, okay, well, for a certain time, you can't uh, be with uh, people, uh, you can't drive with friends, or it's got to be an adult, uh, or you have to be home by curfew at midnight, and... My dad was a very kind, uh, nice soul, but he had his rules. And if you went past those rules, that all went out the window, and he screamed at you, and it was very uncomfortable. And this was something that we just kind of knew growing up. It was like, Dad's great. Just don't – just follow the rules, and everything's cool. Um, and he had uh, – 
this temper about him that was like, you know, it wasn't like a mean thing. It was just like he had his things. And like one of the things we noticed was that my brother and I uh, would listen to him when he was on his sales calls. Now, he was the VP of sales at uh, Riddell, which was like if you watch like football or anything like that, like the, the red logos on the helmets. So he was pretty high up there. And he was a guy that was like he didn't swear, you know, th- things like that. And then my brother and I would, you know, put up our, our ears to the, the door and we would hear the words coming out of this man's mouth. If those came out of our mouth, like we'd be we'd be uh, grounded for months. Um, and he never liked us to point that out. He would just sort of grumble about it if we pointed out all the swears that uh, that he was saying in private. Um, and so he was a real stickler about this curfew stuff. And so I got this stuff down to a science. It's like I'd gotten this new girlfriend, my first girlfriend at the time, Nikki Azimopoulos. I don't know where she is now. Hopefully she's doing well. I was very proud of myself at the time. Uh, and she lived about a mile away. And uh, so I had it down to if I left at 11.54 and I hit the lights just right, I would roll into the house at 11.59, just enough that my parents are very upset at me that I got that close, but not enough that can be super upset at me because I did make it back before the midnight curfew. <laughs> and so it was one night that uh, I was out, and uh, it was raining a little bit, and like, I had just a really great makeout session. So I was really trying to stretch this like 11.54. It was like 11.54.15, 11.54.30, and then finally I was like, all right, I got I to get down the road. And it was raining a little bit. I was feeling good about myself. And uh, what I didn't realize, when you're 16, you're not really used to driving. Uh, you haven't had, like, close calls and things like that. Is that when it's raining, um, you got to be a little more careful, which seems obvious now that I'm 30, but it's 16. It's like, ah, you just hit the accelerator, you hit the gas, you're, you're fine. Um, and, I, again, like I said, I had this very specific way of, like, hitting the lights and the stop signs. And so I've got a like, Green Day or Weezer or something cranked up, and uh, I hit my first stoplight. It's coming off this Kirchhoff Road. Like, I remember it vividly in my mind. And it's raining, and I would always slam that accelerator because I would time the music to a part where, like, I'm just going to jam out as I kind of come around this. And if you do that when it's slightly drizzling, uh, there's this thing called hydroplaning. And, and hydroplaning occurs when it is slightly raining out, and you slam on the accelerator. So I slam on the accelerator, and immediately the car starts going, woo, woo, woo. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, i got to stop this car. And the one thing you don't do when you're hydroplaning is slam on the brake. So I slammed on the brake. <laughs> And the car goes, now we're just really fishtailing. We're, like, really going for it. And it's go- it swerves. There's, like, nothing I can do. Ends up slamming against a uh, uh, a telephone pole, like, right up along the right-hand side. Like, just tears, like, the, the right-hand side of the car. Like, re- like rear view mirror, it's all just bashed up. But... So the way the car landed, though, was, like, right over the sidewalk, um, just over, in, like, halfway through the bushes in, like, this neighbor's yard. And it kind of looked like I'd taken a right and gone and parked in someone's driveway. So no car stopped. Like, they came up right after the accident occurred and were like, well, that guy did a nice job parking his car. And it, like, <laughs> so no one stops. I'm 16. Uh, I evaluate myself. I evaluate the car. I look to the right side of the car and go, well, we're just going to stop looking over on the right-hand side of the car. There's no one with me. I'm by myself. No broken bones. I'm fine. Some shattered windows. The music's no longer playing. First thing I think of is, oh, God, what time is it? It's 12.04. I'm like thinking to myself, it's 12.04. I have wrecked this car. And this is pre-cell phone era. 
so I have no way to call anyone. And no one's stopping. I'm like waving my hand out like, please, I was in a terrible accident. Someone come help me. No one's stopping. And so I'm now thinking, I've never really pissed off my dad before. I am now adding things up here in a real exponential way. I am late. The car is ruined. And I haven't even called to explain why I'm late. So then I have to walk three blocks. Three blocks, I know three blocks down there is a gas station that has a payphone. And so I know, and like every step, it's like, all right, that was another 10 seconds. That's another 10 seconds. We're heading into 12, 15, 12, 20 territory. I mean, this is, this is bad. Like even without the car being wrecked, like we are in horrible territory. And get to the payphone and I realize I don't have any change on me. Run back to the car. There's no change in the car. So I think to myself, all right, it's now 1220. The car is wrecked. And I have to call my parents collect. <laughs> so I call, I dial in the number or whatever is listed on the thing. Like, if you got no money here, you can call and they can pay up the ass to pick up the phone call. And in the message where they're like, please leave uh, your name so that people like, you know, who's calling. I'm like, hey, Spatchy, I was in a car accident. Please pick up the phone. <laughs> my mom picks up the phone. She's like, I didn't hear a word you said. And I was like. I may have been in a car accident and it's 1220. Could you please, could you please come help me? And I don't want to call the cops. I'm too afraid. Can you call the cops? I don't know what they're going to do. Like, what are the cops going to do? <laughs> so they, she very calmly just accepts this as a matter of fact. They come down and the whole time I'm just, you know, just like waiting like, oh, my dad is really just, he's going to give it to me. He's really just like, I have, you have fucked up, Kluppik. Like, you have done some things in your life and this is, this is it. And, Gets there and like the first thing the cop says is like clarifies like when did this accident occur? I was like around midnight. He's like before midnight or after midnight? I was like definitely before midnight. <laughs> and we get through that. Dad doesn't say anything when he shows up. Doesn't say anything on the ride home. Doesn't say anything the next day. I go through a whole week, no conversation with the dad. I I think he is doing some Dragon Ball Z Super Saiyan, getting ready to like. <laughs> Where this is like some Vietnam psychological warfare. Where like I'm just wake up and every day it's like, hey dad, like, is this it? Is this like, is it? Is this where the meltdown occurs? Like I'm, I'm ready. Like I've just worked up my mind over the course of a week. Like I have never been more terrified. It only built on the fact that I had had. It would have been a much sweeter release to be yelled at at this point. Like I just wanted it to be over and like to deal with the the, the guilt was so much worse. And I remember. uh Pulling aside my mom at some point, just being like, so, like, when's this going to go down? Like, this is really bad. And she goes, well, let me just tell you something. Actually, as it turns out, uh, your dad flips out over things like you're not putting on your seatbelt. You're not putting on, like, uh, a life vest uh, quick enough. You're not coming home at midnight. But he doesn't actually know how to say that he's not actually pissed and he's just glad that you didn't get hurt. And so his way of expressing that is just by not talking to you at all. <laughs> and I said, wait, so like, we're cool? And she's like, yeah, you should probably go formally apologize, but your dad already forgave you. He will just never tell you that. And so the time in which I had like been more scared in my entire life, it was actually my dad telling me he loved me. He just had no way to say it. So thank you. Thank you, Pat.
Patrick, what a sweet story to end the night with. By the way, I should have mentioned in his introduction, uh, the second time Patrick told the story on this show, it was about how he has a, a uh, created by credit on the movie Evil Bong 3, which is obviously one of the greatest horror movies of all time. So that's a really good story. <laughs> Listen, I know that what you intended for the movie isn't what happened. I got your back, man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, cool. So speaking of us doing sketches, so I'm going to uh, introduce this song by saying that one of the greatest comedy sketches, certainly I've ever written, but potentially of all time, was, uh, well, this is for you, Joe, this is a sketch called Monster Mash. So what it was, was a mashup of the Monster Mash and Mash, the television show. And um, so we performed this sketch where, like, the plot was a bunch of universal monsters were trying to revive their fallen friend. Uh, as though they, they were at, like, an army military hospital-based thing. Um, like I said, a great, great sketch. Fun fact, I always wanted the sketch to end with the line uh, with Frankenstein saying, it not chicken, it baby, but no one got it, so it was changed to friendly fire bad, which I think is also pretty good out. Um, but because of that, I always connect both of the, like, Monster Mash, obviously, but also the Mash theme song with Halloween. It's not a very... It's a very dour song. Like, it's definitely one of the most downer songs we've ever played, but it's a great fucking song. Uh, this comes to us by way of a cover by the band Manic Street Preachers, which is a Welsh band that tried and succeeded to combine the aesthetic of Guns N' Roses with the social conscience of Public Enemy, and they're really, really good. <laughs> really, really good. If you've ever read the comic phonogram, you'll know Manic Street Preachers, super fucking great. Uh, so this is the MASH theme song. This is called Suicide is Painless.
Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Match 3. Match 3 explores the cultural context of video games with Kotaku reporter Patrick Klepek, freelance writer Jita Jackson, and middle school teacher Sam Phillips. You can get more on Match 3 at their website, match3.simplecast.fm. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.